Thank you, Allison and Vera. Prayer meeting Wednesday, one of the church members came early. She says, Pastor, I need to talk to you. So we kind of got off to the side. I didn't know if there was a problem or something. And she says, I had a friend of mine come and visit me this last week, sharing with me how excited he was about this new church and new pastor that he discovered after moving into the area. said, the sermons were wonderful. And she says, oh, really? She says, well, what did he preach? And uh, he says, well, to be honest with you, I don't remember. <laughs> and so she said, uh, did he preach about the, how to be ready for the soon coming of Christ? Well, no, he didn't preach about that. Well, what did he preach? Well, I don't know, but I know it wasn't about that. And she says, well, you better start coming to Beaumont because our pastor is preaching how to be ready for the soon coming of Jesus. Last week, someone else shared with me as they were sitting in the sermon and said, you know, really this talk about deception and everything else should really be shared in some of the other Adventist churches and not in this one. And then he said it was like the Lord spoke to him and says, Do you remember? And he says, Pastor, I hate to tell you this, but I need to share with you. See, he said, I sat in a church just like this one. And there was a man that came up and said, Would you like to have Bible studies? We've got a group that's forming together and we'd like to study the Bible together. So he and his friend went over and studied the Bible, and it was exciting. And they went the next time, and, and the next time, he said, uh, he said, I never thought anything about deception, but he said, do you know who I studied with? And I said, no. He said, it was David Koresh. And he said, my friend, he said, I discovered there was something that was not quite right in his studying, but he said, my friend got excited about it, and then moved to Waco and is no longer alive. So it can happen in any church to any person. That's why we have to be careful and to be ready. That's why we're looking at that the devil is angry and he's out seeking whom he can devour. And he'll do it in many different ways, whether it's in Bible studies or what we're going to share with you today. Over 46 million people today are affected. Men, women, and children. Do you know what I'm talking about? 46 million people in the United States either have inadequate insurance or no medical insurance at all. 46 million men, women, and children. Many of them need medical attention but can't go and get it. Sometimes they can't travel in their cars because the economy is such that the cars have been taken away. They have no way to get there. Sometimes it's a fact that they can't, they might have medical insurance, but they can't pay the deductible because they've lost their jobs. And so what good is that? 
Some of them have no insurance whatsoever and their family is so large that they just can't afford to do anything. Or it can be like one gentleman who this week uh, went, no insurance, went to the emergency room because of a major situation within his life and sat there for 12 straight hours and has to go back either Monday or Tuesday. And he says, you know, I can't keep taking off work to sit that many hours and to be a part of it. I don't know if I'm going to go back. Well, his medical condition is serious enough. I've talked him into going back, but it's a problem in this world today. What are we going to do when we get to a point in time when we can, what the Bible, what the book of Revelation says, we can no longer buy or sell and we can't go in even if we have money because we are not a part of the mark of the beast and they will refuse us from going in and having medical attention. What are we going to do if we have to flee for our lives and to go into the mountains someplace How are we going to be able to get back to Loma Linda? Or can we get back to Loma Linda? It's a major, it's such a major problem today that I think that we really need to address it because it is a problem here living in the end times for many of us that are sitting right here in the congregation today. What do we do? Let's turn to the Bible because the Bible tells us what to do. Take your Bible and turn to James. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we want to look at verses 14 and 15. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. Now, I know there are some clinics, and, and uh, Kathy Sankey Robinson sitting back there can tell you with uh, the Redlands Hospital that they have some clinics that you can go there uh, to be able to get some help uh, on income basis. And Loma Linda probably has some and some of the others. But again, sometimes the waiting period is so long that you just can't sit there that long. So here's an alternative. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's what the Bible says. I mean, all through ages there have been problems with people with sicknesses and diseases and all kinds of things, and so they need help, and so in James he gives us the help. Now, I've got to ask you a few questions, though. Does James say how sick you should be before you call the elders? Some people think that you have to be on your deathbed gasping your last breath of air. And then before you let it out, call the elders together. Actually, that's bad timing. Because you may not get another breath in. Or the elders may not drive fast enough to get down there. 
It doesn't say how sick you should be. Now, I don't think that you ought to call for the elders every time you have a sniffle. But I think there is a concern, and we shouldn't wait. This isn't the last rites of a person before they die. So some people think, well, I can't call them until I'm dying of cancer and there's absolutely no help or hope whatsoever, and so now I'll call the elders in. Does he say only the poor and uninsured are to call for the elders? says, is there anyone among you, rich or poor, whether you've got a job or whether you don't, to call for the elders to come? Why the elders? These are individuals that are recognized by the church for their spiritual connection with God. You want to call someone in who has a spiritual connection with God. Now, they may not be trained medical personnel. They may be from all walks of life. But it does say, call the elders. Now, does that mean, because some people say, well, that means now I don't have to go see a doctor. That, that this is sufficient enough, just call the elders in and to come in and, and they do their thing and uh, I don't need to see a doctor ever again. And that God does not recognize modern medicine as a means of healing. I know a lot of people in our churches that think that. Is that the case? If that was the case, why would God instruct Ellen White to pursue building hospitals and training physicians and nurses in establishing what we call the medical missionary work. So he can work with them. So it doesn't mean that I can no longer go see a doctor or I don't have to see the doctor. So what happens? Well, the elders, they come and they pray. And James says here that they are to anoint the sick with what? Is there something special about the oil? No, it's just olive oil. Get it over here at Stater Brothers. I usually pull it off of my wife's shelf. So it isn't the oil. It's what it represents. So what does it represent? Let's go to Luke. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And verse 18. Luke chapter 4. In verse 18. 18 and 19. Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, what's the next word? Anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, because of this anointing, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
So there was an anointing that came upon Jesus. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Go now to Acts. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And verse 38. Acts 10 and verse 38. Here's this anointing again. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit. And with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. So what was he anointed with? The Holy Spirit. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. So when the elders come and they come with the oil, it's not the magic in the oil. When they come with the oil, it represents them coming with the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the job. And if the Holy Spirit can allow Jesus to have power to be able to heal individuals, whether it's healing of sicknesses, healing of blindness, healing of the oppressed, whatever it is, that same Holy Spirit is able to work here right now in our own homes uh, when we call the elders together. The Holy Spirit. Wow. I tell you, I've seen miracles. I've seen miracles. So we're to be anointed with this oil. And James says that not only are we to be anointed with this oil, but we are to be anointed in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? In the name of the Lord is an acknowledgement of the believer's position in Jesus Christ and an understanding that our prayers when offered by faith, will be heard as we approach the throne of grace. When I come as an elder in the name of the Lord, I know that that prayer is going to be heard when I make that petition to the throne of grace. Take a look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is speaking. He's telling us what we do when we come in prayer, in faith. Verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, in the name of the Lord, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, it's not only asking in the name of the Lord and understanding and realizing that he's going to hear that prayer, but there's action that's going to be taking place. But this action, we've got to keep in mind, this action is not what I want, but what the Lord knows is best. Boy, that's a big difference. It's what the Lord sees is best for my life. So I must come and I must ask and I must believe by faith that Christ's will be done. Not my will, 
but his will be done. He knows what's best, and it may not be what I think that should be done. The great physician, we often call God that. He's the great physician. But if he is the great physician, I better trust that he knows what he's doing. If you lose trust in your doctor, it's not going to help you at all. And my great physician is God in heaven. Now, he can work through my doctor here on this earth. But he's the one, the ultimate one, that is in control. And I like it when my doctor is a faithful believer, too. That puts it a little better on my side than a man of the world. Yeah. So the great physician knows what is best for my life, and he's going to answer my prayer in the following ways. Number one, he's going to say, yes, I'm going to heal you immediately and miraculously. He's capable of doing that, isn't he? I mean, if he can take Lazarus and bring Lazarus back from the dead, if he can take a blind man and give a blind man his sight, and he's been blind since he was born, if he can take a man who can't hear and a man who can't talk, and he can clear up his ears and make him talk, and a lame man can get up and a leper can be healed, and a paraplegic person with an arm-withered hand He can get used to his hand. Man, he can do anything, can't he? There isn't anything that's too hard for him. And I've got to have faith and I've got to trust in him to say that yes, one of the things that I can do and sometimes I've seen him do it is yes, I will heal you instantly and miraculously and boom, it happens right then and there. I've seen men who were so weak that we had to put a chair in my office. And as the elders are kneeling around and we anoint him with oil, he's so weak he can't even kneel on the floor. And I see a man who jumps up out of that chair and just almost clicks his heels together. So it can happen. I'm glad that God is capable of being able to do that. The second thing is he can say, oh yes, I'm going to heal you. But let me tell you, I'm going to heal you in my time. You may have to change your lifestyle. Why would he ask me to change my lifestyle, by the way? What good would it do to cure you of lung cancer if you're going to continue smoking? To go back and get it again. What good would it do to cure you of of something where you need to lose weight? Your diabetes. And, and to clear that up, if you're going to go out and eat your pie and ice cream afterwards. There I go meddling again. Lynn's going to throw his shoe at me. He says I meddle too much. But I need to be willing to change my lifestyle, get rid of my bad habits. And it may take some time, but he's willing to help me. And in that process, the healing can come in and take place. Sometimes he's going to say, I'm going to want you to take your time, but I'm going to work through your physician. I'm going to work through the nurses. I'm going to work through the system. I'm going to work through through natural remedies. There are many avenues that I'm going to work through. But you need to be willing to make changes and to go in that direction. You need to be willing to to admit 
that it may take time. It may take a lot of time. It may give you borrowed time. Where Hezekiah had some more years to be able to go and to live before he died. So he might say, yeah, I'll I'll heal you, but it's going to take some time. Be patient. You know, patience is not a sinful person's virtue. We don't like to be patient. And then the third thing he can say is, I am not going to heal you at all. My grace is sufficient for you. We don't like that one. I I want you to heal me of my cancer, God. No, I'm not going to heal you. I might extend your life, but I'm not going to heal you. Some of you sitting here today know exactly what I'm talking about. So no, I'm not going to heal you. You're going to have to live with your ailment until you die. But just trust me, he says, I know what I'm doing. You know, sometimes death can be an answer to prayer. Sometimes it can be the most merciful thing that God could do in our lives. Yes, instantly. Yes, but it'll take a while. No, just trust me. But do you remember what James says? And, and people bring that back. But, but, but he says in James chapter 5, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Maybe, maybe if I'm not healed right away, maybe if, if I'm not healed at all, that means I don't have enough faith. That's not what it means. I want you to go to Psalms. This is a very familiar psalm. What does it mean to save the sick? The 23rd Psalm. A lot of you got to memorize. Many times I recite this at a funeral. So this is not your funeral. But we want to look at it anyway. It says, the Lord is my what? So when David is speaking this, how is he speaking as? What is he speaking as? He's the, sh- he's the sheep. He's the lamb. The shepherd's the one that's in charge. Now look what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's because the shepherd's going to supply my needs. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The lambs love green pastures. We all like the green stuff. We all like the the plenty uh, things that we need. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leaves me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of what? We don't like walking there. That's a scary place. Sometimes we get sick enough that we're almost ready to die. But I tell you what, he's walking us through that valley of death. Now listen to what he says. I will fear no evil. Why would he not fear any evil? Because my shepherd is there. For you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Look at this next verse, this next sentence. You anoint my head with what? Well, that's what James says. And the oil represents what? The Holy Spirit. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, one of the things a shepherd does is that the sheep have a mind of their own. I guess that's why we have this analogy that we're like sheep. Sometimes we like being led and sometimes we just like to go off and do our own thing. And sometimes that old sheep goes off and gets into the thickets with the big old thorns and really cuts itself pretty bad. And sometimes they get out there away from the group and away from the shepherd and those old wolves come up and creep up on them and attack and bite their big old fangs into us and we're bleeding all over the place. Then the shepherd comes and shoes them away, but I'm still hurting. I still got the wounds. And so he would take the oil and he would pour the oil over the wounds of the lamb which would cause the lamb's wounds to be healed. God is capable of healing. So when I come to Him, He can say, yes, I will heal you. I will save you from your sickness. I will save you from your wounds. But there's another aspect to that that we sometimes don't think about. God is capable of healing, and he will do it in circumstances. But here's the second meaning of the anointing with the oil and to save the sick. Go back to Romans now. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 and verse 13. Here's calling on the name of the Lord. Remember, we're supposed to come and we're supposed to anoint the prayer of faith and call in the name of the Lord. So here's what it's talking about. Romans 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? The word saved here means salvation. Eternal life. The gift of eternal life. Why do we put this in? Do you remember sometimes God says, no, you'll have to live with this ailment until you die, but let me give you some assurance. If you die from this sickness, you have eternal life. Ah. That, that's great news. What if God says, no, I'm not going to heal you, and I still have to go with this cancer, and I die of the cancer? I can die knowing I have the gift of eternal life because He will save me. Do you know what else? He says uh, that and He will raise you up. He can either raise me up out of my, my sick bed and I start walking around like these guys do that are so sick that they're sitting in the chair, they can't kneel, and we have this prayer of faith, and then they're raised up and they have all kinds of energy. 
or it'll be raised up at the last trump, at the second coming of Christ. And that devil, he can pour out anything he wants, any sickness he wants, but I still have eternal life. Because it says in James chapter 5 that my sins will be forgiven me. It's like a new start in life. It's like a new baptism where everything is wiped away. And I don't have to worry if I'm on my bed and I'm in the hospital or if I'm at home and I've got a sickness and I don't have any insurance. I can come before the Lord in faith realizing He'll say, yes, I'm going to heal you instantly and I'll get up. Or He'll say, yes, I'll heal you, but it's going to take some time and I may have to go through some processes of things that I don't want to do, but it'll take me time. Or He'll say, no, but I'll raise you up at the second coming of Jesus. Everything is for us. It's all on our side. Man. Doesn't say how sick we have to be. We don't have to wait for the deathbed. But if that's sometimes a sickness. I had a friend of mine I was stationed with and when I was in Australia, when I was in the Navy and he says, you know, I'm going to go see my parents. They're going to come to Hawaii. I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to go to Hawaii the first week. We're going to get some things lined up of things we're going to see and what we're going to do. And then I'll spend two weeks with them when they come over, and it's going to be the glorious three weeks I've ever had in my life. And he left, and he went, and that weekend, before his parents came, he died of a very fast leukemia. But when I've got the Lord on my side, even if I die of a very fast leukemia or whatever it is, I've still got the gift of eternal life. Satan can't take that away from me. Salvation. I'll be raised up. The prayer of faith will save the sick because our sins have been forgiven us as well too. So what happens when they come? What if, what if the elder is a scallywag? What if the pastor is, is the worst one in the world? Will, will that faith destroy everything? You know whose faith really needs to be crucial? Yours? The sick one? Even if you have just a small little mustard seed of faith, let me tell you something. God takes the little jewels of faith. It's like little diamonds shining in the darkness. And he takes one of those and he reacts and acts on those things. Is anyone among you in this congregation sick this morning? We're going to sing the closing hymn, 294, Power in the Blood. And if there is anyone who is sick, while we're singing this song, if you want to come forward and I'll pray with you here, we'll make arrangements for a, a private anointing service to take place. I'll call for the elders to come. We can either have it here at the office, at the church. Some people say, I want it in God's house. Some people say, no, you need to come to my house. We'll make whatever arrangements are possible.
And we're going to pray for the will of the Father to be with you and to willing to do, if you're willing to accept whatever he says, whatever the outcome will be, we'll place you into God's hands. So take your hymnal because there's great power in the blood of Jesus. Let's turn to hymn number 294. 294. say there's no hope there's always hope in Jesus even eternal life and so if you'd like to schedule an anointing service please come down as we sing the last verse 294 would you do service for Jesus your king there's power in the for the anointing service. My wife will go out to the door and greet you as you're leaving. If there's anyone else who feels the need to have an anointing service to come down and to join this group, and we'll make arrangements to be able to have this service for you. Let's just pray. There's wonder-working power in that precious blood of the Lamb. We're calling on that power. We're going to prepare our hearts in the days to come so that nothing will block us. And we're going to seek that anointing power that you have talked about in James chapter 5.
We're going to pray for your will to be done. Whatever it might be, to be able to accept that will. Even if it means sleeping in our graves till Jesus comes. We're willing to accept that. Now, Lord, bless us and dismiss us with the power of your Holy Spirit as you go with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.